this week on Hope for the Broken. We've lost this concept of true friendships, haven't we? We live in a society where we are overconnected, yet shallow as ever. And it's not from a lack of people to choose from. It's from a lack of developing a true and authentic relationship with someone. But the truth is that we all need true friends. And the people that we surround ourselves with often have a profound impact on our life. The Bible warns us of a need to develop godly relationships. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community, redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called Life Lessons. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part 15 titled, The Role of Friendship. Listen, last week we resumed part two of a teaching uh, series that we've called Life Lessons. We're working our way through the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. And so I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Samuel. We're going to begin at the end of chapter 17 and work our way through the first five verses of chapter 18. In a message that I have entitled today, The Role of Friendship. The Role of Friendship. We're going to examine the friendship between David and his great friend, Jonathan, here today. And we're going to learn four life lessons for friendship here today. But by way of review, Samuel is a book about one of the darkest times in the nation of Israel's history. Uh, The conclusion of the book of Judges comes chronologically right before the opening of 1 Samuel. And so in the end of Judges, it says that everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. In other words, a moral compass had been lost and society was uh, every man for themselves. But yet even in that kind of environment, even when it seemed like evil was prevailing, God was actually at work in and through his people. He was raising up a young man by the name of Samuel that was going to lead the nation of Israel in a godly direction. And that is good news for us today. If you're here today and you would look at our society and you would say aspects of our society seems like things are chaos. It seems like in a lot of ways our moral compass is gone, but yet God is at work even in those circumstances. And so as a believer in Jesus Christ, we have hope that God never stops his work. And that's exactly what 1 Samuel is teaching us. But then as Samuel was leading the people, they ultimately started looking around at the other nations around them and said, hey, you know what's different? We're a theocracy, but they're a monarchy. And we kind of like the idea of having a king. And so the people come to Samuel and said, we want a king. And so God gave the people a king. He gave them King Saul. And at first, this pleased the people. Because they're like, Saul, he's a handsome guy. He speaks really well. He's really tall. He's head and shoulders above everybody else. He's our giant warrior. And so we are excited to have him as the king of our nation. But uh, Saul turned out to only be about personal gain. And as a result, God rejected his kingship. And he has anointed King David. David, little shepherd boy the youngest of Jesse's sons, to be the next king of Israel. But the problem is, is that decades are going to pass 
before that happens. And it's at this point in 1 Samuel that the focus shifts from the nation of Israel and from Samuel to that of David. And so we learn a lot about David. In chapter 17, last week, we studied the epic story of David and Goliath. And David was victorious over this fearful beast, this fearful giant. And yet, David's life, because of that victory, is about to completely change. He's going to move from obscure shepherd boy to national hero. And that is going to thrust him into the limelight. And what's going to happen, and what we're going to see here today, is that God and his sovereignty knows that because of that, David is going to need a friend. He's going to need somebody he can trust. He's going to need somebody that he can lean on, because what lies ahead of him are extremely difficult days. And God and his sovereignty gives him a friend. You know, in our world, uh, saturated by social media, We've lost this concept of true friendships, haven't we? I mean, whenever I look at my social media accounts, it says that I have thousands of friends, but I celebrated the new year with 12. (laughs) I mean, I don't even really know uh, 80, 90% of the people that are my, quote, friends on social media. We've lost the definition of true friendship. Truth be told, we live in a society where we are overconnected yet shallow as ever. And it's not from a lack of people to choose from. It's from a lack of developing a true and authentic relationship with someone. We've grown used to people coming and going from our lives. And it's even worked its way into the church. We're happy sometimes to come to church, to sit, enjoy a message, and leave, and never had a meaningful conversation with anyone. But the truth is, beloved, that we all need friends, true friends. And the people that we surround ourselves with often have a profound impact on our life. They often dictate the quality and the direction of our lives. They have influence over the choices that we make, over the convictions that we hold to. And the Bible warns us of a need to develop godly relationships Proverbs 13.20 says this, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So this morning, I want to talk about four life lessons in establishing true friendships. We're going to learn what true friendship is, and we're going to even see in this example of how to develop true friends. We're going to see that friendship is needed. We're going to see that friendship, true friendship, is rooted in a relationship with Christ. We're going to see that uh, friendship produces unity and that real friendship involves sacrifice. That is where we are going this morning. And here's my prayer. As we study those things, that we would not only apply them in our lives individually as we seek to have God-honoring relationships, but that we would employ this in our church family. Because I believe it is God's desire that we live and we operate as relationships, authentic, biblical relationships with one another. 
And so that's going to be where we're headed. So let's begin by reading our passage and then looking at these life lessons. You follow along in your copy of God's Word, or you can follow along on the screens that are behind me here. Beginning chapter 17, verse 55, it says, As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, this is kind of like a flashback. So David, we've already read that David was victorious, so we're flashing back. As soon as Saul saw him walking out there, he leans over to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, he says, whose son is this youth? And Abner says, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, I need you to inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul, along with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Now this is important. Saul needs to know who David is for some key reasons. If you remember last week, we studied about the reward. Saul had to issue a reward for the uh, person that would be victorious over Goliath. You remember what the reward was? It was riches. It was marriage to his daughter, to the king's daughter. And thirdly, it was exemption from paying taxes for him and his entire family. And so Saul needed to know who this was. Why? Because he had to write a check, right? He had to determine, who am I going to write this check to? And also, if you're going to be my son-in-law, I better know your name, right? That might be a good idea. And then he also needed to know, whose son are you? Why? Because he was about to draw up an edict, a tax-free edict that he was going to issue to David's family, Jesse. And so that's the information that's gathered here. Now, chapter 18, verse 1. As soon as David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. In other words, he was signed up for the army. And then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in both the sight of all the people, but also in the sight of Saul's servants. Four life lessons on developing and maintaining true friendships. First life lesson. True friendship is needed. True Friendship is something that you and I absolutely need. Verse 1 of chapter 18 says that David had finished speaking to the king and immediately their souls were knit. They became friends. Jonathan and David became friends. And not just friends, the best of friends. Now Jonathan was King Saul's firstborn son. And that meant that he was the crowned prince. In other words, he was the heir apparent to the throne of the nation of Israel. That's going to come important here in just a moment. But Jonathan not only witnessed David's faith in overcoming the giant named Goliath, he also was within earshot of Saul's conversation with David because he was right there. Now, I want to point out something that we see here happening. I believe one of the things that we see happening here is God's sovereignty on display. God is orchestrating the events in David's life to bring him a true friend. 
God is orchestrating and arranging the events of David's life so that David can have a true, meaningful relationship with someone because he knows that he's going to need it. Without spoiling next week's message, David was about to enter one of the greatest trials of his life, decades of struggle, decades of being hunted, decades of being hated, and he was going to need someone that he could call friend. And so God arranged that in such a way to provide that for him. The reason why David was going to be hunted is because, number one, he was thrust into the limelight. He became a national hero. And guess who made that made jealous? King Saul. It's the second reason. King Saul was about to come after him and do so in a mighty way. God knows that you and I need friends too. And I believe that God and his sovereignty orchestrates the events of our lives to lead us to the opportunity to take advantage of establishing godly friendships with the people that are around us. You know, we have a choice in that matter. God may orchestrate the events that led us to this place, to church here today. But we can either choose to maintain superficial relationships and pursue ungodly relationships Or we can embrace the godly relationships that God has placed us around and then be shaped by those godly relationships. But God is orchestrating those events. It is God's desire that we have a true friend. Because it might be a crisis that hits, a challenge that comes, or advice that is needed, but we all need someone that we can turn to. And yes, God wants us to turn to him, But God also wants us to turn to others. How can I say that? Well, I believe that the scriptures are clear. That God hardwired us when he created us. From the very beginning, he hardwired us for relationships with one another. How can you say that? Well, remember uh, after God created everything, he was surveying his creation. Everything was very good except for one thing. Adam was alone. And this was not good in, in God's view. I want you to consider something. Here Adam is. He's in paradise. He's in the Garden of Eden. There is uh, absolute beauty surrounding him. He, He has no sickness. There's no death in the Garden of Eden. There's no major challenge to face in the Garden of Eden. He had the whole world at his fingertips, yet he was isolated and alone. I believe God hardwired us for human connections, human relationships. Now, ultimately for Adam, that was satisfied and his wife Eve. But the point is, is that God has designed us to not only have a relationship with him, but to have a relationship with other people. And that includes having friends. We are also made in the image of God. And God is the perfect illustration of true connection. God exists in triune form. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in perfect unity with one another. And our desire for relationships with others comes as a result of God creating that in us. I believe God created in you a longing to be known and to be loved. He also created in you a longing to know others and to love others. We're hardwired for relationships. Now, I know as soon as I say that, uh, that that relationships are hard for some of us here in this room. For some of you, you're introverted, 
right? Relationships are just hard in general. And you know what? Being introverted, it's a great thing. That's not a bad thing if you're an introverted type person. That's a good thing. That's a good quality to have. But the challenge for you is having the desire to develop meaningful relationships. For me, I'm an extrovert. Others of you here in the room, you're extroverts. Like I, I, I recharge my batteries around other people, right? I drive my family nuts. We can have a busy weekend, like we're all exhausted. And I come and I go, hey, who can we have over tonight? And Kathy looks at me and goes, are you serious right now? Like, no. Like, I was like, well, no, man, we got to be around people. Right? I recharge my brain. But here's the, here's the challenge for you extroverts in the room. It is easy to have a lot of acquaintances, but not have a true friend. What we must come to realize is that God has wired us not only for just acquaintances. I believe it is God's desire that you have a deep and meaningful relationship, friendship with someone. And I think the example here of David and Jonathan illustrates that. Regardless of your personality type, God's created you for relationships. And if David needed a friend, guess what? You and I, we need friends, true friends. Secondly, true friendship is rooted in Christ. True friendship is rooted in a relationship with the Lord. Look again, second part of verse one. It says, and Jonathan loved him, loved David as his own soul. You know, it's really remarkable that David and Jonathan became friends because they really had very little in common with one another. They were different types of people. For one, Jonathan was older. Jonathan was in the army, not only in the army, Israeli army, but he was a commander in the Israeli army. David was too young to even be in the army, to even be a soldier. So many scholars believe that there were at least five years that separated these two, if not more. And so they're not even the same age. They don't share that in common. Also, Jonathan was the son of a king. David was the runt of a farmer. Jonathan was a prince. David, a lowly shepherd boy. Jonathan was heir apparent to the throne. David was an obscure anointed one of God. The point is, from the outside looking in, this friendship should have never even developed. But yet, it did. They didn't have anything in common. So how did they develop such a great friendship? Well, their friendship was based on something greater than life circumstances, than status in life, than even a job or an affinity group. Their friendship was rooted in their faith. So how, how can we know that? How do we know that Jonathan was a man of great faith? Well, back in chapters 13 and 14, we read about Jonathan. It's a little snippet. And Jonathan demonstrates a great deal of faith when he leads his team to victory over what looked like an impossible situation. He relied upon his faith in God. Well, that sounds exactly like what David did whenever he had victory over Goliath. And so these two men's friendship was not based on personal interests, affinity, work environment, what they shared was something far greater. They shared faith in a holy God. And you know, there must have been something about the conversation between David and Saul. 
that made Jonathan instantly respect this young man. I mean, what, what, was, what could it be? I think what it is, and this is me reading it into the text because I don't think we see this clearly, but what I think Jonathan had, uh, what led him to have such great respect for David was David's humility and his faith. Remember what David said to Goliath the giant? He said, listen, you come at me with sword, but I come at you in the name of the Lord. You've offended the Lord of hosts. It's the Lord that's going to give me victory over you today. Do you see the humility that David demonstrated? Yet it took great faith for him to have that kind of humility and that kind of confidence to know that the Lord was going to work on his behalf. You know, we're all drawn to faith and humility and authenticity, aren't we? And so I think Jonathan saw that develop. Their true friendship, though, was rooted with a relationship with God, not in their commonalities. That's my point. Their genuine love for one another came from a unified love of Almighty God, faith in the Lord. Now, I wish I didn't have to mention this next part, but because we live in the kind of society in which we do, it's absolutely necessary for me to address this. There are some that have taken this relationship between Jonathan and David and have made it a homosexual thing. And I I just want to tell you that the Scriptures couldn't be clear. And I think it speaks volumes to the degradation of our culture and our society that we would pull that out of this page, out of this passage. Because that's not what it says here. What does it say? Let's, Let's look at the text. It says that they loved him. Well, do you know what the the Old Testament word is for a sexual union? It's the word no, not the word love. Let me give you an example. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now Adam knew, knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. It's an altogether different word. But then also, secondly, David differentiates his relationship with Jonathan than he does with his wives. And I did say that plural because David had many wives to his detriment. But this is what he says in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 26. David says, I am distressed. I'm grieving for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very uh, pleasant to me. Your love was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. My point is, is that the love that David and Jonathan shared is not a sexual union. It surpasses that. It's on a different level. And I wanted you to know that because here's the truth. You're going to encounter a culture that's going to read that into this text. And you need to be able to disarm that very argument. These two men's hearts were knitted together because of their faith in the Lord. True friendship is needed, but true friendship is rooted in Christ. Thirdly, true friendship produces unity. You can tell if you have a true friendship with someone when you sense a great sense of unity among your friends. Look at verse 3 of 1 Samuel chapter 18. It says, Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. That word covenant is a big word in the biblical text. The scriptures deal with it a lot. Let me give you some examples of covenants in the scriptures. In the Old Testament, we have the Noahic covenant. 
You guys know what the Noahic covenant is? God promises to never flood the earth again. And what does God give Noah as a sign to remember that by? A rainbow in the clouds, right? That's the Noahic covenant. Then we have the Abrahamic covenant. God promises Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And we have the fulfillment of that very covenant. Then we have the Mosaic Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant is to say, hey, listen, I want to lead you into a promised land. And God ultimately led the Israelites into a promised land. Then we have the Davidic Covenant, the establishment of David's throne forever, which is ultimately fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then we have the New Covenant. In fact, you know the term New Testament, which is the second part of the Bible? New Testament, the word testament actually can be referred to as a covenant. This is a new covenant. What's the new covenant? Well, the new covenant is that Jesus has died on the cross for our sins. He satisfied the wrath of God, and therefore we can have a relationship with the holy God because of this new covenant. Covenant differs from contract. A contract is agreement where parties say we will complete our side of the bargain if and only if you complete your side. For example, contract says I will do X, Y, Z if and only if you do A, B, C. That's contract. Covenants are altogether different. A covenant is in many ways much stronger than a contract. A covenant says, I'll do X, Y, Z regardless of you doing A, B, C or not. Right? That's a covenant. Great relationships are built upon covenants. David and Jonathan's relationship was built upon a covenant. But truth be told, you know what most of our, what category most of our relationships fit in? They fit in contracts. We say things like this, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. I'll put a word in for promotion for you if you do something for me. That's contractual language. But a covenant doesn't work work that way. A covenant is rooted in mutual love for one another. And sometimes not even mutual love. The greatest display of a covenant is God loving us even when we choose sin over his ways. God loving us so much so that he made possible a way for us to be forgiven of our sin and a right relationship with the holy God restored. That's covenant. And God is our example. And that's what happens here between David and Jonathan. Let me give you another example of a covenant relationship, or at least the way it should be, is marriage. If you're married, your marriage should be a covenant, not a contract. Marriages get into trouble when they become contracts. Let me give you an example of a contractual marriage. Well, I've fallen out of love with her because she doesn't meet my needs. You hear contract in that? I'm only going to do X, Y, Z if you do A, B, C. But that's not how a marriage is supposed to work. Instead, it's supposed to be a covenant. She's not meeting my needs. I'm going to love her through it. Right? That's a covenant marriage. And that's what God calls us to. Contracts are conditional arrangements. Covenants are unconditional love. And the, the, the point is, is that we need friendships that are built upon covenants. It's the way David and Jonathan forged theirs. They were not the same by any stretch of imagination, but there was a unity between the two that superseded their differences. 
You know, this is exactly the way God has designed the church to operate. When you look in this room, we are made up of a bunch of different people with different backgrounds. We don't share a whole lot in common other than we call Mount Pleasant home. Some of you don't even call Mount Pleasant home. Some of you come from Talco, right? Some of you come from Sugar Hill, God bless you, right? But we come from different backgrounds. But yet we worship the same God. We have a relationship with one another based upon a personal relationship with Jesus. That's the way God designed the church. Jesus always unites people that are as divided as you can get. Let me give you an example. In the New Testament church, the early church, there was a great division, a racial division between Jews and the Gentiles. And you know what God did? Through Jesus Christ, the the working of the Holy Spirit, he brought Jews and Gentiles who hated one another together in unity. That's the way the church is to to operate. I read a quote this week by D.A. Carson, and this is what it says. It says, the church, when you think about it, is made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything else of that sort. Christians come together because they have all been saved by Jesus. They are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. That's the church. And that's what brings a sense of unity. It's why we use the term covenant when we talk about membership in our church. You know, we say that we are a group of people that are made up of active covenant members of Trinity Baptist Church. And the reason why we use that language is because we desire to have a covenant-type family here. Not an I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. No, we are committed to one another in unconditional love. We are not all uniform, but we are all unified. There's a difference between the two. We come from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, different political viewpoints, different income levels, different life experiences, but we are all unified. How? Because of our faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And listen, because of that, We have more in common with the believer on the other side of the globe than the unsaved person across the street from you that votes the same way you do. We have more in common because of our belief, our profession of faith in Jesus as Lord. That's the tie that binds. We're united based upon a relationship with Christ that opens the door for us to experience true friendship on a level that surpasses superficiality. Number four, life lesson is that true friendship involves sacrifice. True friendship involves sacrifice. Look at verse 4 of 1 Samuel 18. It says, And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, and he gave it to David, and his armor, and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt. I want you to consider the sacrifice that Jonathan makes here in his friendship with David. The crown prince of Israel gives his stuff to shepherd boy David. I want you to think about that for a moment. His robe and his sword given to him by the king himself as a symbol of his destiny 
to be the one that would be the heir apparent. There's so much wrapped up into what Jonathan gives David. When he gave him his armor and his robe, he gave them more than clothing and weapons. He was giving up the throne. He was yielding what was rightfully his to who he knew God had appointed. He gave away his inheritance. When Jonathan did this, he was saying, you, David, should be dressed and armed like a prince. These rightfully belong to you. He had such a close walk with the Lord that he knew it was not his right to assume the throne, but instead that God had anointed David for such a task. And Jonathan sacrificed for his relationship with David. But you know what else? David sacrificed too. How did David sacrifice? I mean, he got a bunch of stuff, but how did he sacrifice? Well, not once in the scriptures do we see any example of David lording his position over Jonathan. Never did. When he received Jonathan's robe and armor, it would still be 20 years before he took the throne. Not wanting Jonathan's will, but wanting the Lord's timing in it. That's sacrifice too. And so in this covenantal relationship, we see mutual sacrifice for one another. So much to learn here. True friendship is needed. It's rooted in a relationship with Christ. It produces unity that supersedes superficiality. And it involves sacrifice. You know, listen, I hope that you have come to recognize all of the messages that are preached in this pulpit at this church as important as we study the Word of God. I hope that you all recognize that. But I hope you recognize this one as vitally important. Because here's the deal. I want to be a church that is not based upon our affinity to one another, but is still founded upon a relationship with Jesus Christ. A unity that we can come from different viewpoints. A unity that we can come from different backgrounds, different ethnicities. And we can experience the profound fellowship of the Holy Spirit in our midst. That we would develop true friendships in this fellowship of believers that would supersede anything other, any other relationship in our lives. That's what my desire is for our church. And so this message is of utmost importance. And let me talk real practical here for just a moment. The way in which you develop this kind of relationship in our church is in small groups. If you're not connected in a small group, you're missing out on the opportunity to develop true friendships in your life. If all you do is come here in this room and you leave not having had a meaningful interaction with somebody, then you've missed the sweet fellowship of believers. That we are designed to connect on that level. If you're here today and you don't belong to an adult Bible fellowship or adult Bible study group, I want to introduce you to one. I want to invite you to be a part of that. And you can come and you can find out from Pastor Jeff or myself how you can get connected. Listen, one more thing as we close here today. <clears throat> it is impossible to have a true friendship the way God designed it without first a relationship with him. Let me demonstrate it for you. Our vertical relationship with God always affects our horizontal relationships with others. If your vertical relationship with God is not right, then you will fail 
those that are around you. If your vertical relationship with God's not right, then all you have to offer other people is human wisdom, not heavenly wisdom. It requires healthy, true friendships and horizontal relationships, whether it be your marriage, a friendship, a coworker, you name the relationship in your life. It is greatly affected based upon your relationship with God. And so you've got to get that vertical relationship right first. And the truth is, what the Bible tells us, is our relationship with God is severed, broken. Why? Because of sin. The Bible says that for all have sinned and has fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says that the wages of our sin is death, eternally separated from a holy God. You and I are dead in our trespasses and sins, Ephesians says. The vertical relationship is severed. Oh, but thanks be to God that he made a way to overcome that separation. The Bible says that while the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through faith in Jesus as Lord that God so loved the world that he gave, his one and only son, that whoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life, that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. In other words, yes, our relationship with God is broken, but God built a bridge in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He stepped down out of the glory of heaven, living the perfect life, ultimately becoming the once-for-all sacrifice for your sins and mine upon the cross. He was laid in an empty tomb, but on the third day he rose, announcing to everyone, the world, that he's conquered our sin. He's conquered death. He's conquered a grave, and he's established a relationship with God, a holy God. How do you get this relationship with God? Scripture says that you must be born again. That we're born in the flesh and we are sinners from birth, but we must be born of the Spirit by bowing the knee, professing faith in Jesus as the Lord of our lives. And when we do so, Scripture says you are forgiven of your sin. God wipes your slate clean not because you're a good person, not because you deserve it, not because he's just kind, but because he poured out the penalty upon Jesus at the cross. The penalty's been paid. The fine has been paid by Jesus and surrendering our faith to him as the Lord and Savior of our lives, we're forgiven and that vertical relationship with God is restored. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you please feel free to give us a call at 
572-1959 or email us at info at trinitytx.org. If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.